Welcome to another Godcast from Whosoever, an online magazine for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Christians. I'm Candace Shalou Hodge, the founder and editor of Whosoever. Thanks for joining us. Coming up on this Godcast, we'll get our first update from the Soul Force Equality Ride with our Whosoever correspondent, Mandy Mathias. We'll also talk with Dottie Berry and Robbie Sapp about their experience of being arrested during a visit to James Dobson's Focus on the Family in Colorado. Also on this Godcast, we'll take a meditation moment to help us center ourselves on God, and of course, we'll enjoy some holy humor. Earlier this month, 50 young adults climbed aboard two buses headed for 32 Christian colleges around the United States. Participants on Soul Force's 2007 Equality Ride are visiting these schools to engage students, faculty, and administrators in conversation about the damaging effects of homophobic school policies and the false notion that lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender identities are sick and sinful. Whosoever is proud to be sponsoring one of this year's riders, Mandy Mathias is a 23-year-old graduate of Eastern University near Philadelphia. She learned of the Soul Force Equality Ride when the riders came to her school last year. After that encounter, she said she knew she wanted to be part of this year's action. I grew up in a fairly conservative Christian environment, and um, I actually attended a fundamentalist Baptist school for my entire education from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, and um, I've just kind of really seen the damage um, that the message of exclusion that... um, is backed up kind of falsely by scripture can do to a person who's in that environment um, personally. So I really want to be out here talking to these students and having these conversations to prevent that in the future and to let the students who are gay and out there and dealing with this now themselves know that there is hope and that God loves them without question and without condition. So it's very important to me to be out here as I've lived through these students' lives myself. Tell me a little bit about that other side. What was it like at Eastern University for you? I got connected with some very um, welcoming and affirming professors uh, once I did come out. Um, So that side of it was, was good for me. But the students, on the other hand, had a little bit of a harder time, I think, comprehending um exactly what was going on with me, and I think anything different within that context kind of provides sort of a challenge for Mm -hmm. students, um, especially when it's something that culturally and um, within their churches they've been told that it's wrong. And for someone who was desperately trying to reconcile my faith and my orientation within myself, I was not strong enough to fend off their questions or challenges and often got very shaken by that. Well, tell me now about um, where you've been so far. Um, Our first stop was at North College, which I wrote a little bit about. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a great experience. They um, let us on campus, and we got a good chance to communicate with a lot of the students there. Um, We did a presentation on campus, which went really well. And then our second stop which was at the beginning of this week, um, was Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, where um, two of our riders were arrested um, for attempting to go on to campus. Um, It was actually two of our straight allies. They've been invaluable to us on this ride, definitely. Um, It was very moving to see them believe in this cause so strongly that they would be willing to take that step. So we had a vigil line outside of their campus. Um, They had posted no trespassing signs 
fairly recently before we arrived there. Um, it was fairly clear since they actually still had the paint marks on the grass to mark huh. where they were. Wow. And we actually heard from a contact that this week after we had left the area, they pulled them back up again. Mm. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty, pretty sad the length that some people will go to to avoid a conversation. And then we just finished up our stop at Oklahoma Baptist University in um, Shawnee, Oklahoma. That was also another interesting case. We actually arrived in Shawnee um, believing um, that we were going to be allowed on campus and to have conversations with students. But when we arrived, um, a representative from the school came out to, and told us that we would not be allowed on campus. Hmm. Um, our plan had been to attend chapel with the students, which was something that we got to do at Dort and was wonderful. Worshiping with the students is a great way to build community and just to kind of have a collective experience together. Um, and so we went ahead and walked down to the chapel. There's um, a public road that goes through the university property. So we stayed on that road, and once we got in front of the chapel, we attempted with Bibles in our hands to go to chapel with the students. And one by one, we were each individually turned away by the police officer there. And um, five of our writers wanted to keep going and continued to try and were arrested there for attempting to go to chapel with students. Wow, that's um, just amazing. You get arrested for trying to, go into, trying to go to church. And speaking with a few of the a few of my fellow writers, it was kind of devastating, actually, mm -hmm. to be standing there. Um, it was very visually upsetting to stand there in front of the cross and in front of the steeple, and myself, I was, you know, raised in the Baptist tradition, I'm still a member of a Baptist church, and to be turned away from a part of my own personal congregation, it's very upsetting, mm -hmm. um, and I know a lot of the other writers kind of experienced that within themselves as well. So the next day, actually, we returned to campus, um, after, after our, um, I'm getting ahead of myself, after our attempt to go to chapel, after we were turned away, um, we then wanted to go to a prayer vigil, which we had also scheduled for that day on campus before being told that we were not allowed. And we're not allowed again to cross the uh, line to go into the gazebo where the reverend was praying. Instead, we knelt right at the property line in front of the fence and prayed with him from a distance. After that, we kind of broke up into little groups and stood along the public road um, so that students coming in and out of classes could see us and talk to us if they wanted to. And we did have a few students stop by and have some pretty good conversations with us. So mm -hmm. it was it ended up being a positive experience for that reason. What are these students asking you when they come up and, and talk to you? What do, what do they what do they want to know? A lot of the conversations start pretty awkwardly. <laughs> I think that this is definitely an issue that is not being talked about within the greater context of the Christian church. Mm -hmm. So we don't even necessarily know how to begin the conversation. Many students, you know, they'll just kind of come up to us and just say, hey, so how's it going? And <laughs> you kind of make a little chit-chat and talk about, you know, 
irrelevant things like the weather until you kind of have a little bit more comfortability with each other and then kind of dive into those questions that they have. And often um, it will be one of us, one of the riders, that, that will say, so what do you think about us getting arrested trying to go to chapel? Or so do you have any questions for me? Um, so I think often it's very hard for students to know how to initially begin that conversation. Yeah, but they but they really want the information. They just don't know how to ask you for it. Exactly, and like there'll be students you know that'll walk by once, you know, and then come by again, and then uh -huh. <laughs> eventually like build up the courage to come and talk to you, which is a little amusing to me because I don't consider myself to be a very intimidating peasant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that the school has built you all up as as some sort of intimidating presence. Yeah, and that's, that's unfortunate because really what we want to do is just that, just to be able to sit down and have those kinds of conversations. Just, you know, easy, open dialogue is what we're looking for. So we did end up having some of that on that first day, and we um, yesterday went back onto campus, um, and we had made, we had, Community members um, donate some scraps of cloth for us to build a tapestry to present to OBU. And um, we sat there on the front lawn in front of their property and kind of sewed it together. And we wrote some Bible verses about love and about Christ's mission once he was out on earth. And I know I myself um, made a square with the first names of um, closeted students were students who had been closeted in Christian universities. And between myself and the two young men who were sitting with me, I think that just between the three of us, we came up with over 30 names, mm. which was actually very surprising to me and very sad. There's a part of me that knows that those students, um, even though their story isn't being told necessarily yet, it kind of, somewhere on OVU's campus is, um, at least the echo of it is kind of living on. So we did attempt to try to present that to the president, actually, um, and I believe it was six more writers that were arrested carrying that onto campus, and where they were arrested, they placed the tapestry down on the ground, and actually two OBU students, um, as they were being taken away, picked up the tapestry and did take it the rest of the way into the student union. That was fairly moving to see that, definitely, as we're all kind of the rest of us standing, watching all of this from the property line. After all of that, I am really looking forward to more conversations with students. We um, went to a park, actually, yesterday after everything, and we had advertised and we were holding a banner while we were off of campus telling students where they could meet us afterwards and um, sat there for a while and did have actually a good number of students come out and speak to us. And the conversations that I have actually been able to have with students have all been positive. I mean, there have, of course, been areas where we have disagreed, but everyone has been extremely respectful, and I think this is a conversation that especially my generation is very hungry for.
mm-hmm. um, hungry enough to come off campus in search of us even when we're not there. In the coming weeks, riders with Mandy on the East Route bus will visit Baylor University in Waco, Texas, and Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi. On the West Route bus, riders will be visiting Brigham Young in Provo, Utah, and Pepperdine in Malibu, California. For more information on the ride and to make a donation to support the ride, go to www.equalityride.com. And Mandy will be posting blogs from the road at our blog site. Go to equalityridewhosoever.blogspot.com for updates. February 19th, Dottie Berry and Robbie Sapp of Blaine, Washington, were arrested and removed from the Focus on the Family headquarters in police custody. The couple entered the building earlier in the day and refused to leave until the organization's founder, James Dobson, takes a step toward reconciliation with lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender communities by ceasing his misleading statements about research on lesbian and gay parents. This isn't the first time Dottie and Robbie have visited Dobson's headquarters in Colorado Springs, but it is their first arrest there. I talked with Dottie and Robbie recently. I asked Dottie why they felt compelled to go back to focus on the family. Well, we've been going in to talk with Dr. Dobson people at Focus on the Family over the last couple years. We really felt like um, we wanted to know their stories inside because, as you know, we started every one of our newsletters on our year-long journey, Gay into Straight America, with you can't hate someone whose story you know, and that works both ways. And I think sometimes when we just stay separated from one another, it's it's really easy to um, paint caricatures of one another. So we found over the last couple of years that there's a lot of delightful people working inside Focus on the Family, and our desire was that one day maybe those people would eventually, you know, go to Dr. Dobson and say, Dr. Dobson, we can't keep doing this because, you know, they're not like you've told us they are, and that they begin to put the pieces together themselves just by knowing us. But we specifically went in to ask for Dr. Dobson on this particular day because his rhetoric has escalated rather than going the other way and getting better, and it continues to harm people. For instance, in the Time Magazine issue of December 8th, I mean 18th, excuse me, um, he did an article about Mary Cheney's pregnancy, and he said two mommies is one mommy too many. That was the title of the article. And he went on to quote, and cite research by prominent professors at Harvard and Yale, letting people think that these researchers support what he's saying. And nothing could be further from the truth. And so these researchers have come out to say he's misconstruing our research. You know, a man of his stature who professes to be a man of faith would hopefully, when confronted with the fact that you're spreading untruth, would take a relook at things and go, wow, you know, I, I really didn't realize that I was really off track here. And, um, you know, we've said to them inside, if, if Dr. Dobson wants to say that I believe marriage is between one man and one woman, that's his belief. But to absolutely perpetuate information that's false and erroneous is simply not okay because it harms the very families that he professes to value. Mm -hmm. And those inconsistencies is what we wanted to uh, hold him accountable for. Tell me what happened when you guys went in to focus on the family this time around. 
Well, what we did is we, we wanted to make sure that we had enough time to go in and try to find some of the people we've met over the last couple of years and say hello to them um, because we felt like that was important. So we went over the Welcome Center first, and we were looking for who we call Diane Number 1 and Diane Number 2. Focus on the family. They have people's first names on tags, but they don't have their last names, so you usually don't know them. We do know that Den Patterson is the head of security, and we know his last name because we've seen it. And he's another friend that we've met over the past couple of years. But at any rate, the reason we call him Diane Number 1 and Number 2 is because we met Diane Number 1 the first year, and then Diane Number 2 last year. So we didn't find them at at the Welcome Center, but they told people we were looking for them. So as we came back and we were going to go on an 11 o'clock tour, we saw Diane number two, and she came in and she says, oh, how are you all? And hugged our necks and everything. And she said, oh, you don't want to go on that tour. Let me take you on one myself, you know. We've got some new things. So we went, oh, okay, which was really kind of interesting because we had people from Soul Force who were going to be in there not to participate in specifically what we were going to do in the nonviolent act of civil disobedience, but just to serve witness. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they obviously knew something had gone kind of different when we weren't in the, the tour group, but they could see us off talking to Diane. We just had a great conversation with Diane, and we asked her, we said, hey, you know, what's going on? How did the Ted Haggard situation affect you all, you know, and what was the conversations, because we had gone to Ted Haggard's church the day before, um, because we wanted to go inside, it happened to be the day that the four men overseeing the process were kind of giving the updates on what was going on, we talked a little bit about that, uh, but then we said, you know, Diane, let's ask you, do you have a gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender person in your family? He says, well, yes, my godchild is a lesbian and uh, my niece. And and we said, well, how how do you welcome them in your family? She says, well, I, I just love her. I love her and her partner. And we said, wow, that's great, Diane. He said, but let me just ask you, you know, the teachings of Dr. Dodson, really his rhetoric negates, you know, your godchild's relationship with her partner and how do you deal with that the fact that his rhetoric harms so many people like our families it was as if she hadn't really thought about that you know she says all I know is that I love her hmm. and we said that's great and, and but you know it's still a problem because unfortunately Dr. Dobson's rhetoric with many families does not allow them to uh, welcome them into their homes. Mm-hmm. But we did ask her, we said, well, we hear that you accept her and you acknowledge her, but do you celebrate her relationship? And she says, well, you know, she's not here to answer that, but I hope she does feel celebrated. Uh, so it was really interesting just hearing her talk, and I don't think she had taken the time to connect the dots of how Dr. Dobson's rhetoric impacts gay and lesbian, bisexual and transgender persons. Robbie tells us what it was like to be arrested. You know, when we've gone in there before, we have gone in um, on our own accord, apart from Soul Force, um, and and we have not participated in any kind of civil disobedience there. But we, you know, every time we've gone in, we're very clear and, and upfront about who we are, and we walk around the, the facility holding hands and 
and meeting and greeting people and telling our stories. So there's never any question about who we are, but we've never done anything uh, like this before. We've told our stories, but we've not done anything um, like a sit-in. So, um, but Dottie has been arrested so many times she can't even remember <laughs> or count. So, so, you know, it's kind of old hat for her. Myself, I have... Um, participated in one previous uh, act of civil disobedience, and that was with the uh, the uh, trial of Karen Dahman in Bothell, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that one uh, was fairly easy in the sense that it was, you know, handcuffed, searched, put onto the paddy wagon, a bus, kind of a jail bus, and then kept there for a while uh, before we were taken to the um, jail and released. This particular one was even easier um, there were there ended up being five police cars that responded to the call from Focus on the Family, and uh, um, you know a couple of them left uh, by the time they escorted us out the front. But the police officers were very very kind and congenial and gentle, and they didn't handcuff us. We asked them when, once we got back to the station, and they put us in a room to kind of keep us there for processing and everything. And we said, you know, why didn't you handcuff us? And they said, we knew you weren't a threat, and we knew that you weren't, you know, armed and dangerous or anything. So um, so this was very easy um, and and fairly quick, you know, from the very beginning of our sit-in to the, to the, the time that we were released was probably no more than an hour and 15 minutes or something like that. Um, but anyway, we made a statement, you know, and... Um, the neat thing, too, was that when we were at the police station, we had some really good conversations with the police officers that were guarding us and processing us, and uh, it was really great because, um, you know, they said, well, we have to be neutral, you know, we can't really, you know, say one thing or another, but it was neat because one of the guys said uh, that some of his best friends are a lesbian couple, and <laughs> so so it was really neat. They started to share a little bit of their own lives with us, so that was cool. So, and, you know, all of this is um, not in an effort to change anyone's mind, and that our whole journey was was um, not, the goal was not to change anyone's mind. It was to engage hearts and minds, and in that engaging hearts and minds and creating authentic connections, some of the differences that separate us do dissolve, and people do come to a new understanding when um they know you on a personal level oftentimes. So um, that's really our goal. So we're, we're, we've just been called to plant seeds and, and to touch lives, and, and how they transform is, you know, that, that'll happen as it happens and how, how God wants it to happen. Dottie and Robbie went back to Colorado Springs recently to face the judge. They pled guilty and paid their fine, and they also had the chance to sit down and talk with the new pastor at New Life Baptist Church, where Ted Haggard once pastored. Dottie and Robbie have spent the last couple of years crisscrossing the country, talking with people about the plight of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people of faith. Visit their Gay in the Straight America website at gayindustraightamerica.com.
In 1 Corinthians 10.19, Paul writes, For why should my liberty be determined by another man's scruples? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Now, Paul was addressing a dispute among the Corinthians about whether or not they should eat certain foods. The dietary laws of the Jews were strict, but Paul advised his followers not to raise questions about the food one eats, since, quote, all things are lawful, unquote. I think this passage, though read with gay eyes, has an even deeper meaning than what kind of food we eat. It goes to the heart of a personal relationship with God and what that should look like out in the world. As GLBT people, our liberties are determined by others' scruples every day. We're told by those on the religious right that we must live by their rules and become heterosexuals if we're to enter God's kingdom. We're told by state and federal authorities that we must choose opposite-sex partners if we wish to marry. We're told by our friends, family, and churches that we must give up our, quote, immoral lifestyles and conform to what society considers, quote, normal to be accepted and loved. Why should my liberty be determined by another's morals? Paul says they shouldn't. Instead, he says quite clearly that if we partake in thankfulness, that we will not be condemned. That tells me as long as I live my life in thankfulness, I too am a child of God. I am thankful for many things, including my sexuality, yet I am denounced for giving thanks for that by anti-gay people who call themselves Christians. Paul tells us to take heart, for it's not their judgment to make. Our liberty should not be determined by others' scruples. Instead, we should test the Spirit for ourselves and work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We are free as GOBT people to do that because of the saving grace of God. And now it's time for some holy humor on how different faiths might fight fire. Recently, just as an ecumenical gathering was commencing, a secretary rushed in shouting, The building is on fire! The Methodists gathered in a corner and prayed. The Baptists cried, Where's the water? The Quakers quietly praised God for blessings that fire brings. The Lutherans posted a notice on the door declaring that fire was evil. The Roman Catholics passed the plate to cover the damage. The Jews posted symbols on the doors hoping the fire would pass. The Congregationalists shouted, Every man for himself! The fundamentalists proclaimed, it's the vengeance of God. The Episcopalians formed a procession and marched out. The Christian scientists concluded that the fire would burn itself out. The Presbyterians appointed a chairperson who was to appoint a committee to look into the matter and submit a written report. The Unity students proclaimed the fire had no power over them. Some atheists in attendance didn't even believe there was a fire. The secretary grabbed the fire extinguisher and put out the fire. And the Mormons, having arrived 15 minutes late, missed the fire completely. Thanks so much for joining us for Whosoever Magazine's Godcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can tell us your thoughts, comments, or suggestions by writing to us. Our email is godcast at whosoever.org. Or you can leave comments at our blog at whosoeverpods.blogspot.com. 
The theme music for our program has been graciously provided by Adam Kiraly. Other music included cuts from Suzanne Ting, Aaron Starks, and Jamie Janover. All are available from magnatune.com. If you'd like to join the Whosoever community, we have many online groups that you can join for fun and support. You can find Whosoeverins in your area when you join our Rainbowfish groups. To find out more, go to whosoever.org slash rainbowfish. If you're enjoying our podcast, we hope you'll consider making a monetary donation to our ministry. It takes money to produce and broadcast this program, and of course, to keep our ministry on the web, where we've been a valuable resource to our community for a decade. You can donate by credit card by going to our website at whosoever.org slash donate, or you can send checks to Whosoever Ministry. Ministries Incorporated, Post Office Box 727, Camden, South Carolina, 29021. Remember, whosoever is a 501c3 nonprofit, that means all donations are tax deductible. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you and keep you until we meet again.